Good morning. Good morning, family. If you can find your seat, it is really good to be back with you all. Uh, I do have a couple announcements. Well, one announcement. The other one's just a thing I want to say, uh, which I guess is an announcement. There is a stack of these at the information booth, uh, which will be the welcome booth, which will be right by the doors as you exit uh, this hallway here. It'll be on your right. And these are Halloween tracks. So what we do as Village Bible Church, and we've done this for a little while, is we, we encourage our members uh, to be faithfully present in the places where they live as well. And so our goal is you impact your own neighborhood for Christ, and not just this one, although we do have, as you can tell in the worship folder, opportunities to do that here. But we want you to be present as a light and as salt in your neighborhood where you live. And so the opportunity here is you grab these, you are home on Halloween, and you give out good candy. Good candy goes with these. And so if you're giving out toothbrushes and toothpaste, please don't pick up any tracks. Um, but yeah, give out good candy with those. And it's just a good, uh, easy opportunity to be a witness and a light uh, where God has you uh, in that assignment where you live. Um, just got back from the honeymoon last Sunday, so good to be back. We, we watched uh, the live stream that first Sunday, and it was so hard to be away from family. Uh, so we went and we fellowshiped with a church in Nixon, Missouri, two weeks ago. And uh, church of a dear brother in Groveland, which is just past Yosemite last week. But uh, there's something about the local church that we attend that is family in a unique way. Um, most of you were at our wedding. And that's... Uh, incredible going forward just to to have that uh, family history with you all and to have that picture of this is what Christ intended for the church to be is to be brothers and sisters in community so I just want to say thank you on behalf of my wife and I for being there and being present and being that family uh, with us Um, so thank you all and uh, let's get into Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 we're in verse 1 today and this passage um geez can't cry before I start teaching. That's not a good thing. <clears throat> this passage carries such significant weight and baggage that it would be a shame to not explain it before we jump into it. Uh, you, you saw Pastor Ron explain the last uh, couple weeks. The Luke says in the beginning of Acts that um, in the last volume of Theophilus, I began to tell you about all Jesus began to do and teach. And the, the implication is Jesus is continuing to do and teach here. And Jesus' last words, some of his last words to his apostles and his disciples were, uh, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be with my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that wasn't just Jesus' promise that began there. It was much bigger in scope. And so if you jump back even a little bit, Jesus is telling the disciples, look, it's better for you that I go. John 15 through 17, he explains the coming of the Spirit and talks about how when the Holy Spirit comes It's going to be better for you. That presence of the Lord won't just be in person, but in you. No longer will it be interacting like Jesus, but rather indwelling and moving in you as believers. Again, that that might have been hard for the disciples to understand or comprehend. Ordinary men um, indwelt by God's Spirit. How would that look? How would that feel? How would that be? 
And we're going to see that a little bit here in Acts chapter 2. Uh, let me begin by uh, explaining to you a little bit of what's going on here. We are still in the upper room, I believe, uh, where uh, they chose the new 12th disciple, Matthias, to replace Judas. Uh, they prayed, they chose, Matthias took his place, and he was numbered with the 11 there. We are standing on the precipice of the inception of the church. Right here. It's about to start. The reason we're here is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, but that beginning here of this new church age is here. Acts chapter 2. Let me read for you verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we jump into the story, and uh, there is a lot to unpack there. You'll notice on the back of your Uh, worship notes if you're wondering about tongues we do have the quote from the church constitution there on what we believe is village bible church in regards to the gift of tongues and i'll explain that for you a little bit more as we uh delve further into this chapter i do want to take a step back and say pentecost we we typically think of pentecost as this uh church holiday almost as this church celebration but it wasn't it didn't start here they were assembled and they gathered for this day It was an Old Testament uh, festival that was referred to as the Feast of Weeks. Leviticus 23, 14 through 21, and as well as Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 12, we'll talk about these uh, festivals and how to keep them, how to practice them. And so um, devout Jews as they were, the disciples, and, and many people from all over gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. According to the tradition, this festival was celebrated in regards to when the law was given at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. So some scholars argue that this scene opens up with them at the temple, uh, but it doesn't quite make sense with the context of a room and the gathering. We, uh, I'm going to make the argument that this moves outside and toward the temple later on in the chapter. Uh, you kind of see a little bit of uh, transition there in verse 5 although there are faithful, godly men who believe otherwise. Verses 2 through 3. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. If you know the word for spirit in Greek, you know the word pneuma can also mean wind and so a mighty rushing wind fills the house and whether or not that's intentional on behalf of luke to use that word and that language or that's just how the spirit showed up that's how the spirit shows up wind was not a new way to refer to god's presence entering somewhere luke borrows this from the old testament uh Some of Luke's point in using this word and describing the event in this way is to say that the the presence of the Spirit is palpable. It filled the room. It It was seen. It was felt. It was heard. 
Tongues as of fire appear over people's heads. God is present. That's the point Luke's making. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, as I mentioned, uh, when God showed up, there was the sound of a rushing wind. Just a few examples of those are 2 Samuel 22.16, Job 37.10, Ezekiel 13.13. When God shows up, oftentimes it is with a sound like wind. You may be thinking there's another way that God shows up often in the Old Testament, and that would be fire. Whoa, both are present here in this chapter. Both the wind coming in, and then as Luke says, tongues Fire as in tongues, like it looks like tongues, but it's not. It's a description to say there's a heavenly thing going on here, and it looks as if it's a tongue of fire, but it's not literally a tongue of fire over their head. That's how it appears. The Spirit shows up. God shows up through the wind and through the fire and then through voice, as you'll see here in a second. Make that argument for the fire being the presence of God. Think back to the book of Exodus, one of the first times we see God, um, the first time we see God reveal his personal name with anybody is there in Exodus, uh, chapter 2. And you see, sorry, chapter 3. You see God show up in that way and talk about the holiness and the presence and removing sandals, and God shows up in fire there. Shows up there in Exodus nineteen eighteen, pillar of fire leading the people. First Kings eighteen thirty eight to thirty nine, Ezekiel one twenty seven. God shows up in fire oftentimes, and and when the Holy Spirit makes His grand entrance to initiate and and bring on the church age, He does so with wind and fire. All these symbols are pointing to the presence of God. It's not a new occurrence. It's not a new occurrence here in the New Testament. It's not a new occurrence in the biblical story. Verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This entire scene, as I mentioned, is fulfilling prophecy like crazy. Uh, the, The design and intention that God had for his people would be that they would be As Jesus says in the high priestly prayer in John 17, they would be one as you and I are one. They're gathered together. They're close. The Holy Spirit comes in and initiates these things. Uh, Just to paint a much bigger picture, God's presence is significant with the people of God, period, throughout history. You see the Spirit hovering over waters in Genesis 1. You see God walking with people in the garden in Genesis uh, 1 and 3. God's presence was with his people. And as he cast them out, The intention was to always bring them back in. God's presence was important. You see the the people in Exodus set up a tabernacle so that God may dwell near them and they may approach him and be in his presence. You see the people of Israel set up a temple so that God's presence may dwell in the midst of the people. You see Jesus step onto the scene in John 1 so that God's presence may be with the people, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus promised things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's better when the Holy Spirit comes, and now the Holy Spirit comes, and there is God's presence with his people. A much bigger story is taking place than just what's happening in these first four verses. In fact, let me take you another step deeper and say that this prophecy 
uh, was occurred a few times. Acts 1, 4 through 5. Jesus says, hey, look, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Stay put. Wait for the promise of the Father. John 15 through 17, Jesus promises the Spirit. Acts 1, 8. They're told that when the Spirit comes, they're going to be their witnesses. They're going to be His witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, Jesus commissions His people to go out to baptize, to make disciples, and they can't do it on their own, but rather through the power of the Spirit. As much as those immediate verses are fulfilling, are being fulfilled here, it wasn't just there. Isaiah promises the coming of the Spirit. Isaiah 32.15. And most significantly, Joel, in Joel 2.28-32, promises the coming of the Spirit. Here it is. Four verses in Acts 2. The Spirit comes. Now for the disciples, you you can think about what they've been through the past 43-ish days. Uh, They've watched their rabbi, their closest friend, be crucified. They had that Saturday where all was hopeless. What about the promises he made? What about what he said he'd do in restoring the kingdom to Israel uh, or initiating the kingdom, period? They saw him ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father, and angels say, look, why are you staring up into the sky? He's going to come back the same way. You see them gathering faithfully as they ought to, and still awaiting this prophecy to be fulfilled. One of my favorite things here is that uh, what's about to happen happens to ordinary people. And the most ordinary apostle is the one who gives the most extraordinary sermon in church history. Peter, the guy whose foot's always in his mouth. So we see the the palpable work of the Spirit happen immediately in Acts. Just look at how the church is different when the Holy Spirit's present. Jesus promised that they'd be his witnesses and that people from the ends of the earth would come and would know about what Jesus has done. That this gathering, this ecclesia would be bigger than just them. And look at the day where he does it where people are there from all over. Not a coincidence. God's intention was here. Luke uses the word fill here in verse 4, which is significant. Um, Some synonymous terms may be baptized, poured out, received. It's a nod to the event being a receiving of the Holy Spirit that in order to fulfill the above prophecies, as I mentioned earlier. People are receiving the Spirit. And he's showing up in this miraculous way. Notice here that the Spirit is doing the work, not the people. I think uh, that's an issue we have sometimes as modern evangelicals, is we can elevate people. We can say this celebrity pastor or that big-name pastor is so much better and bigger than the gospel or the church, uh, but that's just not how it works. Uh, We've watched pastor after pastor in that way fall. But we notice here at the beginning, the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the work. People are being saved. People are coming to Christ. But it's not because of these ordinary men deciding to speak in a certain way. They're speaking languages they don't know. And so very clearly, God's the one bringing them to him. 
the Spirit's doing their work. It is not for their glory. As we see later on in the story, it's God who gets the glory. It's God who gets the glory. Point number one in your notes. The Holy Spirit shows up and begins his work. The Holy Spirit shows up and begins his work. So those blanks are shows up and begins. Let me just take a side note on the gift of tongues. If you are new with us um, or have been here a while and just don't know what we believe as a church, um, first of all, let me point you to our church website. We have our beliefs listed there. We have, uh, we have what's called a church constitution, which details all of our beliefs on uh, whatever you can think of pretty much. Um, and then, yeah, there, there's a lot there on that. Uh, but let me walk you through specifically here this gift of tongues and talk about what we believe as a church on that gift. We believe, I'm just going to read that quote from the back of your worship folder notes. We believe that the gift of tongues in the New Testament was a sign that witnessed to the validity of those bearing canonical revelation. Speaking in tongues is not a sign of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Scripture makes it clear that all believers are baptized with the Spirit. So that's, that's just to say you don't have to speak in tongues in order to prove that baptism. But not all speak with tongues. 1 Corinthians 12.30 literally says that. So that's where we get that from. The gift of tongues is a lesser gift. And as with all spiritual gifts, the gift of tongues is for the profit of all. And we, when we say tongues is a lesser gift, again, it says that in those verses. Um, if it is not interpreted, it is good only for personal edification. Many of the current manifestations of tongues are human-induced, but it is still possible for God to originate speaking in tongues. God is sovereign. And you can talk to people in this church that have seen and witnessed and been part of um, people speaking in tongues. So we believe that it still happens. Um, we believe that it's lesser and it's a sign gift. Um, personally, I make the argument that it happens more in third world countries uh, than here. But I have seen and witnessed people speaking in tongues and do believe it is still a gift that is used. But we believe that it's lesser um, and not used as frequently. And so here we see, let me also like explain a little bit more here. We're about to see the people speaking in tongues, and they're going to speak in languages that people recognize. And so we have uh, two sort of sides of the same coin of tongues that some people believe, and Paul seems to allude to, that tongues is an angelic language. In 1 Corinthians 13, you can think of Paul in the love chapter literally saying, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, um, we believe primarily that if tongues is being used, and here specifically, it's being used in human languages. Um, but we believe that's usually how it's used, um, but not necessarily definitive. Uh, but just for our clarity's sake in Acts chapter 2, when this comes up, it's human languages because people are hearing them in their own languages. So the, the chapter interprets itself in that way for us. Let me jump forward to Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. This is a point where I argue that the event moves into the streets, moves toward the temple. Um, Due to the festival, as you see Luke clearly explained, many people were there. Um, 
In Jerusalem, there are Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. People were there from all over. And it wasn't just people from Israel, right? Like if, if they showed up and started speaking Aramaic or Greek, it wouldn't be that significant. People would be like, okay, that's what we usually speak. Cool. Uh, but no, there's people from all over. There's people from all nations. And, and Luke's going to explain to those which nations, explain to us which nations those are in verses 8 through 10. And we'll get there in a minute. Um, but people were there from every nation. And you may be thinking, and I, I think that we, we don't properly explain this enough, and we're going through, um, with the high school and junior high on Thursday nights right now, we're going through a series called Story. And we're talking about the story of the Old Testament. And so we're grabbing the narrative and moving it along. So we were in Exodus this week, and it's significant that as God moves his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness toward the promised land, that the multitude isn't just people who are Hebrews. In fact, there's opportunities all over the Old Testament for people uh, who are from other nations to come into that Jewish family. And we have a word for that. It's called proselytes. Proselytes. And so people who were not Jewish by birth or nationality could become Jewish through this process. That God always cared for the foreigner, always cared for the people who weren't necessarily from Israel. But he always welcomed them in. He always had a way. And so you literally see that played out here. Uh, I think sometimes we think uh, in Acts when uh, the Jerusalem Council meets and uh, salvation is extended to the Gentiles, that that begins when Gentiles can be saved, and it's not true. Gentiles could have been saved throughout the Old Testament. That was always God's heart. It didn't change. Um, it, I mean, the, the, the manner in which people were saved changed uh, in that like salvation was primarily for the Jews first, and now it's for everyone. Um, yeah, so he always had a heart for the proselytes. He always had a heart for the other nations. And we see that present here. Someone who wasn't Jewish by birth could become Jewish by following specific commands and instructions. Verses 6 through 8. And at the sound, and that sound being the people speaking in the tongues of fire, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? They heard people speaking in their own languages. Uh, maybe languages they hadn't heard for a while. Something familiar that for them may have very well sounded like home. And so they gather closer to those people. It's a silly story, but when we were in Missouri... Uh, there was a lot of things that were foreign um, to us. And when we heard people speaking Spanish, we were like, oh, there's home. There we go. Let's gather around those people. They probably know where to eat. Um, no, yeah. Uh, so for at a much bigger scale for the people who were in Jerusalem at the time, when they heard people speaking in their language, they would have thought, oh, home, and gathered closer to them and heard them uttering astounding things about God. It's just a, a wonderful opportunity. People look around, they say, aren't these people Galileans, which has a couple implications? Aren't they dumb? Don't they not know how to speak these languages? They have these accents. How are they speaking these languages? Meaning, like, it, it doesn't make sense. 
for these Galileans to all be speaking these various languages. They know who they are. They know where they're from based on how they look, talk, and dress. But still, they hear them talk in their own languages. You can almost imagine pleasant relief and now a curiosity brewing into what these people are actually talking about as the tongues begin to be spoken and people are able to interpret on their own because it's their language. They hear it spoken. Verses 9 through 11 talk about these uh, specific nations that are mentioned. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So that's the content of their message, the mighty works of God. Here's what God has done. The people there, the, the disciples and those who are present who have given that gift, speak and testify to what God has done. Ends up being the, the most natural segue ever into a very successful sermon that Peter gets to preach later on in this chapter, talking about these mighty works of God. People from all over. This is exciting for the disciples because this was their mission, right? They, they were told that they'd need to speak to people from all over and share the gospel with them. And here they are, the inception of the church, gathered together, assumedly going back home after, and being able to share that gospel good news, and hearing. And so some fulfillment immediately happens for Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as well as Acts 1, 8, that what Jesus promised immediately is beginning to be fulfilled. And of course, it gets fulfilled in a much grander scale over the next 2,000 plus years. But here we are at the start, and people from all over, your tribe, language, tongue, not every, but many tribes, languages, and tongues are hearing. Look at how quickly God is moving. You see the content of their message is not self-glorification. We walked with Jesus. Look at us. Look how cool we are. But rather telling of the mighty works of God. That was the content of their message in tongues. Look what God has done. Look at the amazing things that God has done. Verses 12 through 13. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They're filled with new wine. They're drunk. As Peter lovingly says next week, um, we'll see him say, They're not drunk since it's only 9 a.m. Good logic. Um, no, Peter explains for them that the people are, can't be drunk. They haven't been drinking since they woke up. Rather, you can understand what they're saying. But imagine, for a second, a lot of people speaking in different languages. I mean, think of those of you that have kids or when you were a kid and you hear people speaking a different language. It sounds like nonsense. You think to yourself, that literally makes no sense. When One of my professors was um, from the U.K., and his wife was Welsh, and he would show us Welsh uh, written down, and it made no sense. It was like those are English letters and kind of words, but that is nonsense. Uh, great. 
But for the people gathering, not hearing their languages, would have naturally said, what are these people talking about? They're babbling on like fools. But for the people who heard their language, they think, no, they're not. I can understand what they're saying. They're not babbling on like fools. If you've ever witnessed an event you didn't know how to explain, that's what's happening here. Trying to explain away the supernatural with the natural. These people are babbling on like fools. They must be drunk. Supernatural works of God are so hard to comprehend or imagine that many people watching those speaking in tongues had no explanation. People were naturally confused and perplexed. They couldn't comprehend why this was happening. Some people heard, quote, unintelligible noises as they couldn't understand the other languages, but the languages they could understand were intelligible, speaking and testifying to those very mighty works of God. Peter gets to explain this in a second. And as I mentioned, this, is, this transition, this segue here into Peter's sermon is so natural and fitting that he, people are confused and saying, they're speaking unintelligible words. What are they talking about? And Peter gets to just say, they're talking about the mighty works of God. And let me explain that to you in the common language that we can all understand. Notice one of, the, one of my favorite points here in this story. There is a contrast to a Bible story that you heard as a kid in this section. And it's the story of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis, people gather together and say, let us make ourselves like God in pride, trying to achieve for themselves their own glory, their own honor. Let's build a tower to heaven. And God, at that moment, confuses their language. And they all begin speaking unintelligible languages to each other that no one can understand, and then they have to separate. They have to move away. Here, in Acts 2, the people gather together, not for their own glory or honor, but to celebrate what the Lord has done. What they're speaking is not exalting themselves, but exalting the Lord. And God, again, sends different languages. But not to separate, to unify. God redeems here what happened all the way back in Genesis. Point number two in your notes. The people in Jerusalem are amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit. The people in Jerusalem are amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit. A couple points for you in application, for all of us in application. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up and makes ordinary men extraordinary through his power, through his might, through his work. I think the hard thing for me is to see in Acts 2 the Holy Spirit do this. And in 2021, us to be indwelt by the same Holy Spirit and not act in the same way. Not in the way of speaking in tongues, but in the way of, I'm just this, or I can't do these things, which may very well have been what the disciples 
would have said and done, but here the Holy Spirit shows up, and we're about to see next week him empower Peter, who for the last four books has had a, a foot-shaped mouth, now preaches this eloquent sermon that you're wondering where in the world that came from. What makes us think that he won't do the same with us? That when he shows up and indwells you, the moment that you were saved, that that spirit who comforted Jesus in the wilderness and led him there and Jesus promised and said, it would be better for you that I go so the spirit can come and and Acts 2 shows up and testifies to the mighty works of God. That that same spirit indwelling you won't do the same through you. That your power, your ability, your work, your eloquence, all of that is insignificant when the Spirit shows up. He indwells you. And so your list of excuses that's a mile high for why you can't do what other people can do for the kingdom is insignificant because the Holy Spirit indwells you. Just like he indwells every godly man and woman you've ever met. The same Holy Spirit that that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us as well. He shows up and he begins his work in Acts 2. His, His work in the sense of the church. He's always been working and active. He shows up in us and he is working and he is active in 2021. So don't place your hope in things of this world. Don't place your hope in politics. Don't place your hope in people. Uh, Place your hope in God, the Spirit who has power and gives utterance that we can rely on Him and follow His lead. There's there's, uh, what we'd call veteran Christians in this room who have been Christians for a long time. They can tell you about the things that they've said and done uh, responding to the Spirit's work that they didn't even know that they could do, that they could say. Watch God work faithfully in situations they thought were impossible. You've got prayer warriors in this room who have been praying for people for years and watch them come to salvation after 10, 20, 30 years of prayer. God is faithful, and He always has been. Just as He was faithful in Acts 2, to show up and initiate this church movement, so he's faithful now. I know that some of us in this room have ideas and, and things we'd like to do for the kingdom. Respond to the Spirit and follow through on those. We have a group of youth who want to do worship in a park. They're just responding to the Spirit. What, what can God do through that place of worship in a park? Living Nativity is coming up, and that was just an idea a few people here had, and and now hundreds, thousands of people have come through and heard the gospel because of that. Respond to the Spirit. Point number two in your notes was the people in Jerusalem were amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit. Give God the glory. They didn't walk up and say, look at these men who are so eloquent. They were like, these guys are Galileans. (laughs) <laughs> what in the world is happening? <laughs> These guys are nothing. They, they were amazed at the work of the Spirit. And the people there, rightfully so, Peter immediately goes, no, this is God. God showed up. And here's what God's doing. Let me explain it to you. 
Give God the glory. There are things that you've done in your life that with your own abilities you could have never done. Um, maybe schooling, maybe careers, maybe uh, for, for many of you in this room, raising a family. Probably so confused and wondering how in the world God would work that out, and he did. He's been faithful. Give him glory for that. So rely on the Spirit, follow his lead, respond to him, and give God the glory for things that he's doing. I'm going to close in prayer. I know what time it is. Thank you. Lord God, thank you for uh, your word, this opportunity we have, uh, your Spirit's leading. Lord, help us to follow his lead. Help us to respond to him well. Lord, be with us as we fellowship and minister to one another. Help us to be that church that uh, begins here in many ways. Help us to be that church now as we seek unity and peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.